Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Let's sit for like two more hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so welcome everybody. We had a nice little movie night last night. We watched the Dhamma Brothers. How many people have seen it either last night or just in general? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it before, but it's always so inspiring to watch again. For those of you who don't know, I've mentioned it before leading up to last night, but it's it's where they took a, a 10-day Vipassana retreat and 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 held it at a maximum security prison in Alabama. And, uh, yeah, the results were really phenomenal. Really amazing. Amazing the power of just, just 10 days of looking within. Quite amazing. So today we're going to talk about, I think the title I gave it was Be, the, Be Buddha Now. We're looking a little bit about the mind and the belief systems of the mind. And uh, first for those of you that are new, just the, to get the, the schedule of, of this Sunday sits, we have a 30 minute silent sit in the beginning, maybe a 20 minute or so Dharma talk. And then we move into, <clears throat> Maybe like a little solidification meditation to kind of anchor that in. And then we move into group discussion, like either small groups or, or large groups for the last half an hour and get to, get to discuss the topic. So first I want to talk about the, the power of the mind, especially when it comes to our spiritual practice, or actually just in general first. If we look at the five elements, we have earth, wind, fire, great band, for those of you, earth, wind, and fire, uh, space, and water. <clears throat> Yet with the, these elements, they could exist but without consciousness, without mind. They can't be known, they can't feel. Right? And these elements, we have these elements in our body. You know, our flesh and bones, this is the earth element. Our blood, this is the water element. Our breath, this is the wind element. The temperature of the body is the fire element. And the spaces in our body, the voids, you know, where the breath goes, the openings in our mouth and whatnot, this is the space element. So we could have these elements even in our own body, yet without the mind, can't be recognized, can't be known. We have the senses, you know, the sense organs, or the eyes, the nose, the tongue, the ears, skin. But without the mind, we really can't access sight, hearing, taste, 
touch, you know, sensation, anything. So all phenomena that we process, all external phenomena, internal phenomena, everything that could arise, it needs to arise within something to be perceived. It needs to have mind. This is why mind is the most important, right? It's everything. So we see just by looking at that, just how powerful, how powerful this consciousness, this mind is. And so there's, there's two elements of the mind that could be limiting factors, which I want to talk about a little bit deeper. So obviously, if everything that can be experienced has to be experienced by this mind, this mind becomes like a filter system, right? We're actually filtering our experience. It has to go through mind. Everything that we experience has to go through mind. So, this is why in, in uh, spirituality, a lot of times they talk about the, this analogy of clear, of having clear water, right? Because it's, they're talking about the filter of the mind. So this, the water, if it's, if it's like, a, like a pond, you know, the water could be muddy, it'd have wind at the surface, it could have, you know, in Buddhism they say it's like, like putting dye in the water if we have like anger, jealousy, greed. These are the things that keep us from seeing clearly. Now, when, when the mind is still and the mind is clear, it's like transparent and we can see truth. We can see things as they really are without this filter being dirtied by any of our perceptions. So one aspect of the mind is that it can become <clears throat> limited in its scope of what it believes it is, or what, it, what it, it can achieve, or what it actually could see, what it could be familiar with. And the oldest translation, one of the oldest translations of meditation is to become familiar with. That's what meditation means. So we're becoming familiar with ourselves. I want to read a little something. Um, this is a book that I saw on the bookshelf a while back. I've read something from it before, but it's quite amazing, actually. It's called Mind in the Waters, and it's about studying dolphins and whales and their, their research and some maybe the pioneering research of these fascinating animals. And I'm going to read you... I think, a little fascinating couple paragraphs from one of the scientists. The title of this paper is called A Feeling of Weirdness. <laughs> of weirdness, yeah. In this paper, I would like to discuss a very peculiar effect which we have noticed in the laboratory while working with the bottlenose dolphin. This effect is an example of the peculiarities of a creative process which occurs in this particular kind of scientific research, but which may also occur widely than just here. To state it tersely, if one works with the bottlenose dolphin day in and day out for many hours, days, and weeks, 
one is struck with the fact that one's current basic assumptions and even one's current expectations determine, within certain limits, the results attained with a particular animal at the particular time. So this is like quantum physics, how they figured out that the experimenter actually influences the experiment, right? This effect was first noticed in our work in 1955, 1957, and 1958, as I became more convinced of the neuroanatomical <coughs> size and complexity of the dolphin brain, I noticed a subtle change in my own attitude in regard to possible performances on the part of these animals. To one like myself trained in neurology, neurophysiology, and psychoanalysis, a large complex brain implies large complex capabilities and great mental sensitivity. Such capabilities and sensitivities can exist, of course, in forms we have not yet recognized. The working hypothesis of advanced capability raised our index of suspicion and in turn sensitized us to new sources of information. It was a subtle preparation of the mental climate which allowed us to listen to some rather queer noises that the dolphin was producing in the laboratory and to review them very carefully on the tapes. Because of the possibility of a very large brain capacity and because of musings about the possible areas of achievement already realized in this species but as yet undiscovered by us, our minds began, began to open. So you see how he's saying that because we started to analyze the possibility of what is possible by these animals, we began to discover things that we would have otherwise never, dis never discovered. So they began to open up their minds to these possibilities. So like us in our spiritual pursuits, we too must, need, must open up our minds to the possibility of what we might be. If we have an idea of what we are, then we cannot supersede that, right? So we have to, to take off this limiting belief system. You know, they say that we cannot recognize anything outside of our, of our consciousness as it is. Our consciousness as it is, everything is filtered through that. When we look at the consciousness of infinite love, what could be experienced there? We have infinite love. What could be experienced as we actually if we actually lived in this consciousness? Now we know from the saints and sages and whatnot that their experience of reality is much different than our experience. Yeah, I look at it as like a rev limiter Talking like dude talk here, you know, like in a car. Like an engine can go like 200 miles an hour, but if they put a, a rev limiter on it, then that constricts the motor's ability to go beyond, to be go, be go beyond that RPM and reach that speed. So let's say a car, and if you've ever been in a car and sometimes if you're going really fast or something, the car will start to stutter. And this is because it's bouncing off the rev limiter where it's actually retarding the spark of the elect electronic system, and the car cannot reach its full potential. So if you take off that rev limiter, that same vehicle may be able to go 200 miles an hour. See? 
So we know that we're this grand, expansive being, yet we have this self-imposed <coughs> rev limiter. It's like going way back to Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, whatever a mind can <coughs> believe or conceive, can believe it can achieve, right? Kind of like the self-help stuff. <laughs> but it's true that we have these limiting factors. A lot of times we hear stories of awakening where the teacher says, you know, you know, you are the Buddha, you are Krishna, you are Christ. And then that student believes that and wholeheartedly believes that. So this is, this is one aspect of the mind that we have to be very careful with. You know, when the Buddha sat down to say, that's it, I'm going to be enlightened. You know, he believed that he can be enlightened. A lot of times we think, oh, it's the next lifetime, or I have so much work to do, but, you know, we have to sit down and actually believe it. So, the second aspect is awareness itself. So, the mind can only become aware of where it puts, his, puts its attention. So, we have all this phenomena arising, right? And we know that with the mind and with consciousness, we have the opportunity to actually become aware of something. But not unless we put our attention there. So as we're sitting here, there's outside noises. But if we don't put our attention there, we can't hear them. Have you ever been in a room and there's something like annoying in the room, like a, a tick of the clock or something, and, say, and somebody tells you, oh my God, that... That clock ticking is really annoying me. And you say, I don't even hear it. And then once they point it out, then you hear it and you can't stop hearing it. But you see how the senses are already picking it up. But you can't know it unless the mind is picking it up. Right? This is basic. This is mindfulness, right? When we become mindful, become awake to this. So as I'm talking, if you notice that as I'm talking and you stop listening, like, you know, your mind grabs another thought and then you're lost in thought or you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what they just said. It wasn't like your ears stopped hearing, right? I say, listen, stop listening, stop listening. You see, but it's because of your wakefulness, saying stop listening, that you're awake. This is why you can't stop. Right? Because you're awake to that. So where we shine our attention, now this is very, 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 very important. This is actually maybe the reason why we have the limiting beliefs. Probably the number one reason why. It's because conditionally, for some reason, we, have, we shine the light on what we're not and very rarely shine the light on what we are. See, we cannot know what we are unless we shine the light of awareness on what we are. So what we are, we know that we're Buddha nature because we've heard it, we've read about it, and said, oh, you know, 
we're all actually enlightened and we have enlightened mind. And so just like the mind can perceive external phenomena, awareness can actually perceive its enlightened aspects of itself. If we look, and that's what meditation is. Meditation is instead of looking at our thoughts and our emotions and our body sensations as what we are, and self-identifying as these is these are what I am. We actually look into who's looking. We cannot be what is impermanent. All the things that are rising and staying a little while, falling away, that can't be us. This awareness, that which is looking. So we're looking outside. This is samsara. Looking inside. You know, this is Buddha nature. So when we turn and we look, just that looking inside. And then if we could do so without any limiting beliefs. This is what they call in, you know, Dzogchen, Rigpa, like resting in our true nature. So we go there without any limiting beliefs, even without the meditator, even without meditation, just being. So this is the mind, you know, using the mind to see self. Using, you know, like some spiritual texts, they use the self with the uppercase self, right? Use the lowercase self, <laughs> makes sense. The uppercase self. So we have, we have a self, like an egoic self, and then we have truth, a true self. We need to use this mind and, and look. Maybe we'll have a 10-minute meditation of <coughs> looking in this way. Our meditation reminded me one time I was in the room with uh, a Lama and I told him, I said, you know, Lama, I really, I really can't wait to do long retreat with you. And he said, why do you want to do long retreat with me? He said, it only takes a moment. Why does it need to be long? I was thinking, I don't know, why do you hold long retreats, you know? <laughs> like afterward. I was like, wait, but he holds long retreats. <laughs> but I think he got his point across, is that the idea was that I was going to achieve something if I keep, if I do something, if I keep going, if I do longer retreats, or doing more and more and more, you know, it's always that it's around the corner. You know, this is, this is a belief, it's a concept. And when we see, I mean, at least in my example, for me, you know, because I was, uh, have, had the opportunity to be around a lot of, a, a lot of lamas that, and they're put on a pedestal. That, of course, they don't put themselves there, but, but we do. <laughs> they keep trying to tell us, no, you know, there's no separation. 
So in my mind, it's like, oh, I can't be like them. You know, I'm not going to realize them. Look at Rinpoche, who's been in retreat for 30 years. You know, half of his life was in retreat or something. You know, and that's where the realizations come from, which is not true. You know, it's, it's, it's all right here, you know. And then even though even the ones that have been in retreat for so long in, in the Himalayas and all this stuff, they'll say, it's not there. <laughs> you know, you take your mind and you put your mind in a cave in the Himalayas and you have crazy monkey mind in the Himalayas. It doesn't matter. You're still with your mind. You know, there's a great little comic strip and this guy's sitting on a bluff and it's beautiful. He says, I could sit up here and think about my problems all day. <laughs> <laughs> You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.